0: I love that little bit, of, well, that large portion of text that Heidi read from Isaiah, um, and we're gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll refer to it in our talk today, but it's, it's, it's this astounding bit of scripture in the Old Testament long before Jesus came, long before anyone had an idea what Jesus would look like and what he would do, is this little text um, that when you look back at, you think, oh my word, someone actually saw down the corridors of time. In the most unbelievable way, and was able to capture something of what was to come, and um, we'll come to that in a moment. I want to ask you a question. As we were worshiping, I just I had this like this image come to my mind of us. One, it, it says, "In Christ, the solid rock we stand." Is a good, good Father. We loved by Him. All, the, all the, those images. But I had this picture of us: with one foot on the on this rock, and the other foot like in the waves of the ocean. And there's no stability in that. We feel like we're stable, but we actually are just floating this foot out there. And I think that the Lord is challenging us to actually, where do you want to put your trust? Do you actually want to be found upon the rock that is Christ? Or do you want to just float around and be pummeled by the waves that come our way every day? If you find yourself on the rock, then the waves will come and you can stand firm. But if you are not, you'll be swept away. And um, I was with a good friend this week. And we were talking about what it means for Jesus to be present with us every moment or for us to be aware of his presence with us every moment of every day. And is that a realistic thing to believe that we can know Jesus present with us every single moment? And I suddenly thought, you know, if I'm watching TV, and I love soccer, and I'm watching my Liverpool play, and it's exciting or boring, but I know the players, and so I'm engaged, and I'm focused, and for that 90 minutes, and even in the intermission time, I'm engaged in this game. I'm glued to the television. If you like baseball, it's longer, but you can be glued. You can be glued there until the 20th inning. You can be glued. If you love cricket, it'd be five days. You can be glued Yet when we come to the gathering of the Lord, we get bored in two minutes. Is that because Busby's a lousy worship leader? And Brian and I are lousy preachers? And Heidi can't host to save her life? And Chad has no idea what he's doing at the desk or the sounds all over the place. Is that what it's about? Or is it that we have forgotten what it is to know Jesus' presence with us every moment and to be excited by that? Well, do you think that's like pie in the sky? Well, we can't be aware of that. I think we can. It's in Christ we live and move and have our being. And so the question I'm going to leave you with as we go into our text, which this is not part of the, what I was going to speak on, is are you awake to the reality of Jesus by His Spirit being present with you right now? And in one second, right now. Because that's the only time you've got. That last second's gone. Is Jesus present with you now? That second's gone. Is Jesus present with you now? Are you aware of it? And I believe that we can train ourselves to actually be aware of Jesus' presence. So that when we come into a gathering, hour, hour and a half, nothing, you know, just like a soccer game. Just a little shorter than a soccer game, a lot shorter in a baseball game, a lot, lot shorter than a cricket game. Can we be present? Can we switch off our phones and not look at Instagram and Facebook and what and messaging and whatever? Just switch it off. Any doctors in the house? Anyone here a doctor? You're a do- but you're retired. You don't count. <laughs> if you're a doctor, you can have your phone on because if you're on call, a right little buzz. If you're not, switch it off. Sometimes we say, what? you know, that's where I that's where I use my text from the Bible. Well, we put it up there, and the Bibles are in the pew's there because i know when i use my bible like and i'm always just checking instagram as well so let's let's be present that's why let's be present in what god is doing is that right because i think that's how jesus wants us to live he wants you to be know his presence when you tomorrow you're at work when you're parenting when you are having fun know jesus presence one peter chapter one we've been in the book of peter which um, Brian did the first three sessions, and I'm going to read what he he taught into the the bit that I'm doing and do a little summary and share a little bit, and and we'll be done on this. Is that all right? So here we go. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great statement. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded, by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. If you are not aware of Jesus' presence with you every moment, how can you be filled with that joy? It's just like, oh, Jesus somewhere, but I'm not connecting. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And, um... Brian did an amazing teaching last week on that, that, those verses, and we'll touch on something now. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances or person to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Wonderful text. can seem a little complicated because there's so many words. Actually, I think in the Greek it's one long sentence. Um, they, were, they were cleverer than us. Um, There's something beautiful about reading the the books in the Bible that were written near the end. So we read Revelation. It's not the last book written in the Bible. This book is written later, 30, 40 years after Jesus. One John written even further. And these, these apostles are now old men. They've walked the walk. They've seen results to the, the gospel being preached. and But then they've seen all the opposition, all the testing, everything that has come their way. They've seen the scattering of the saints from the place of safety as persecution came and they had to scatter all over the place. And they now begin to write to encourage these Christians all over the place and say, what can we leave you? These are final words. What can we leave you that will sustain you and help you in your time and has now come to us 2,000 years later almost, and is strengthening and encouraging us today. Remember, um, this was a group of Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. They were in trouble. I want to start by saying this. The church has always been in, or should be, in opposition to the status quo. When the church becomes the status quo, we lose our power. We lose our influence. We lose the momentum that we have to see the gospel come and change people's lives and move them out of what they know into the new reality of the new birth in Christ. But if we are the status quo, then it all gets mixed up, which is exactly what's happened in our nation, where the nation and Christianity and everything is all mixed up. So being an American and being a Christian is almost the same thing. And thankfully, there's a a split beginning to happen maybe it's not thankfully to you, it's very thankfully to me, that actually we're going to see, oh, to be a Christian is a whole new ball game. We can't be part of the status quo. We have to be that that's in opposition to the ruling spirit of the day. We need to create disruption in society. Now that can, whoa. No, disruption through amazing ways of love. Because that's the ethic of the people of God as they extend the kingdom of God into our world, is that they love. They love everywhere, at every turn, through everything that they do. We love. And that disrupts the world order. Because the world order is one of dividing, separation, hatred, killing, keeping out, keeping in, all sorts of things. But the people of God come and they break the status quo and they love and they love and they love. They were doing that and they got scattered because people were in opposition to that. People don't like it when you actually want to just love them. It feels like weird. But that's the role of the church. You take the gospel of Jesus into the world through the power of sacrificial love. Because Jesus first loved us and sacrificed for us. I've got a short time left. And Brian covered in this text the three parts of salvation, that we, are, we were saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be saved. In good theological language, we are justified, we're in the process of being sanctified, and we will be glorified. One has to do with the new birth, and the evangelical church is obsessed with that part of salvation. As long as we get you into the kingdom across the line, pray the prayer, you're in. Hallelujah. Praise God. Doesn't matter what happens then. And then you've got sort of the eschatological prophetic nuts that are only concerned about the end and they draw charts of when this is happening and when it's happening, trying to predict the times and whoa, we're. And in the middle, you've got kind of the people that just like, by our good works, we're going to earn the salvation, we're going to get there. Whoa. But actually, the salvation of Jesus is all of that, is that Jesus has saved us, has given us new birth, settled. But then we are meant to live that out and grow and mature and be spiritually transformed into the image of Jesus, into his likeness, in this process called sanctification, where discipleship happens, where we actually work with the Holy Spirit to become the kind of people that Jesus intended us to be. And then one day, there is a day coming when it'll all be wrapped up, and all tears will be gone, and all sickness will be gone, and all mourning will be gone, all will be, and it'll just be glorious. We need all three. Is that fair enough? Where do we live now? Are we living in the past? Are we yet in the future? Or we live in this section here? Where we have to work with God, with the Holy Spirit, to be changed and molded and to love the world and engage the world, etc., etc., etc. You see, in that point, number two, in that sanctifying moment, which Brian covered last, we find trials and tribulations and opposition and persecution, which we don't really like. So we, let's stick in the past with the new birth or believe that it's all going to wrap, but please, not the middle. But it's actually in the middle where we grow. It's actually in the middle where love bursts forth out of us to touch other people. It's in the middle that we get refined to become like Jesus and to shine like Jesus into the world. We want to be refined. We sing songs that we used in the past. Oh, refine us, fire, come refine us. Yeah, it's a painful thing. Last week, if you weren't here, we were just talking about when you refine gold. I've I've been to a gold mine. I've seen gold being refined. It's put in a big pot, and it's heated till it's molten, and it's like liquid, the gold. And what happens is all the impurities rise to the top. Why? Because gold is heavy. All the impurities rise to the top, and they scrape it off. And they do it again. They scrape it off, and they do it again. They scrape it off until the gold is pure. So if we want to be refined to become like Jesus, then we must expect the heat to be turned up. And we must expect all our crap to come to the surface so that it can be dealt with. If we keep suppressing it, if we keep hiding it, Then you just got to go through another heating up experience and another one and another one until you let it rise and let God by his spirit take it away. The trouble is when it rises to the top, everybody sees it and everyone actually will say, thank God they're just like me. Because we're always pretending that we're not as bad as we think we are. But actually all of us have got motives and things in our hearts that are God wants to deal with it. Allow him Imagine if we only had to do this once. But we go through the fire a whole bunch and then it gets painful and then we want to back out and we do this is too hard. Christianity is too hard. It's really hard. So is running a marathon. So is raising a child. So is studying for a degree. Everything's hard in life. Why should this be any different? Jesus, But we got the power of Jesus working with us to actually become those people. So we have these trials. Those trials come through opposition. People don't like what we're saying. People don't like to be loved. People don't like to be told, actually, this is the way, the truth, the life. It's so opposition. And other trials come just because God wants to refine us, so He throws little joker cards into our lives. You know, He'll have that person in the church it will say something that'll just offend you, get up your back, and, Ugh! that's a moment where he's refining, he's using it. The end result of all of that is verse 9, where Peter writes this, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. The end result of your faith, as you live this life in the sanctifying moment, the, the faith that doesn't even see Jesus physically, but we believe and we love. The faith that says we will go through the testings and the trials and the refining and allow the rubbish to be taken off so that we can come forth as gold. The faith that says it will take us to the end, to the finish line. We will fight this fight till the very end. That faith, we will receive the end result of that faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, I want to quickly say something about that. When it talks about the salvation of your souls, it's not just talking about some little thing in here called your soul that one day when you die just separates from your body and goes to heaven. Actually, in the, in the Bible, when it talks, it talks about the soul, you have this great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The soul is that all-encompassing thing that represents everything that you are. So when we receive the salvation of our souls, what we're saying is we are getting a full and complete salvation for the whole person. Because our bodies are going to be renewed, aren't they? The dead will rise. We'll get new bodies, glorified bodies. We're not just going to be raptured into the heavens. The heavens is coming to the earth. Actually, that's another talk. There'll be a new heavens and a new Earth. We'll have bodies, there'll be glorified bodies. I'll wear size 32 Levis. It'll be beautiful. And I'll be a bit taller, 32, 34. That'll be really good. But we're going to receive a full and complete salvation that's going to affect our bodies. It's going to affect our minds. We will know perfectly all those questions you had about faith in Jesus, and they will all be answered perfectly. Your will, this is your heart, the center of your, your, where you choose, your will will be totally transformed and you will choose perfectly to follow Jesus for all eternity. Your whole soul, your whole being and your relationships will be made right. You will receive the salvation of your souls. Your whole per- person is promised with the inheritance There's going to be inheritance, and there's going to be rewards. The Jews had a great word to describe that. It's called shalom, which we just say, oh, peace. But in Hebrew, the word shalom means this total, complete peace where there's no fractured relationships, including fracture with yourself. You're at total, total rest in God because everything has been made right. If we will stick with the faith journey through the trials and the tribulations and the refining and all that, we will receive what has been promised, which is the salvation of our souls, the complete salvation of our whole being. Isn't that what we want? If it's not, what the heck are we doing here? That's summarizing last week. Verse 10. Concerning the salvation, which salvation? That salvation we've just spoken about. The complete whole shalom's salvation of the whole person. That's what we're talking about. It includes the trials, includes everything. Well, what about that salvation? Because now we're gonna we got the salvation, but what is Peter trying to tell these people that have been scattered? Most probably most of them were Jews. Was Peter had been called primarily to the Jews, Paul had been called to the Gentiles. So this is predominantly a, a Jewish scattering. And he reminds them that the prophets of old, the Old Testament, the old scriptures which, which they would have had, that the prophets looked and they longed for this that is now happening the salvation of people's souls. Someone once said it was like the, the, the Old Testament prophets had glimpses of glory and grace of what looked what the future looked like. That's why we read the text from Isaiah, and there are a lot of texts like that in the Old Testament, which is Isaiah caught up in the Spirit. The Spirit it says the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is speaking to him and showing him these things, and he's thinking, "Oh my goodness!" First of all, to see. That the Messiah could suffer would be really, really strange for a Jew. Because that's not part of their history. That the Messiah, the God, who would come and make all things right and throw out the pressing uh, ruling party, etc., etc., and bring everything to wholeness and take them fully into the promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey where everything's going to be perfect and the Torah will be observed perfectly. That this Messiah would suffer and be broken is an absolute shock. But they faithfully wrote down that which God was giving them so that we as believers, and you think now Peter writing to these people around about 60-something A.D., they can look back, they can open these scriptures and say, oh, my goodness, there's correlation here between what the Old Testament prophets prophesied and what the apostles are preaching. Because Old Testament prophecy and apostolic preaching of the gospel They tie together. They're not separate things. It's not like there was this old Jewish religion and suddenly there's a whole new religion called Christianity. No. We who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christianity, we flow out of the whole story of God's dealing with Israel. All those promises, all those covenants, all those prophetic words are fulfilled through and in Jesus and through his people. It's not like, oh, we came up with a new idea. And Peter says, no, 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 guys. The prophets were looking for this. They were longing for this. They had glimpses of this. They were looking. Mostly they were trying to figure out when was the time. Because if you're a prophet, all prophets want to know the time. When is it going to happen? But they were also looking for what was going to happen and who is it going to happen through Peter's saying this apostolic preaching of the gospel, that's the fulfillment of that. That reading from Isaiah, he was broken, bruised, all that, it's the gospel. What is the preaching of the gospel? The life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, Messiah, the Christ. Messiah, Christ being the same word in different languages. The Jews, through their prophets and their scribes, had the expectation that God would come and make all things right and restore all things back to the way they were supposed to be. They weren't expected to come in the light of a man who was born to humble beginnings and decided to overthrow the ruling party, not by pushing them out with power and sword, but by sacrificial death, shed blood, and absolute love and grace. That's the gospel that's preached. You see, one of the things that we, we, we find ourselves living under now is this whole threat of Islam. Actually, if I was a Muslim, I'd also be totally mad with Christians because they actually try to take the gospel with the sword in the time of the Crusaders. They just hacked people's heads off and wiped out whole families and communities because they wouldn't turn to Jesus. But that was never the way of the gospel. The gospel was a proclamation that Jesus loved people and he was freely inviting them into a living and dynamic relationship with himself. I'd also be hacked off. If you could summarize this Old Testament into the New Testament, it's under this, I I wrote it down, it's like the faithfulness of God. He actually promised some things and he's brought it to bear. And if we can see some of the things being fulfilled, we can believe that the rest will be fulfilled as well in Jesus. That there is a day coming when everything will be made right. There is a day coming when there will be no tears and no mourning and no grief and no pain and no sickness. There is a day coming, but we have to hold out. We have to embrace that future as it's broken into our present in Jesus, and when we see people come to Jesus, and we see people healed, or we see people delivered, or whatever it is, we're getting glimpses of the future glory that has already been promised, coming our way. Goes on to say, you know, even the angels, which is like the cosmic powers, even the angels were like, whoa. I think the angels are a little confused actually. Because they, I mean, they remember they'd been with Jesus in heaven, in the heavenly realm. I mean, weren't they? I mean, Jesus was with God, created the angels. The angels have been there and then they what? We're going to fix things, but God, you're going to become a human being? You're going to get into that little womb about that big? Whoa, this is interesting. Let's see what happens. Because they, they they didn't know. I mean, it says in Hebrews that the angels are given to us as to be ministering servants to the those who inherit the kingdom. That's us. So they, they're not aware of all the plans. It's like they are, they are longing. They're looking. What's happening? We want to see things restored. How is it happening? <sighs> that's At least that's the image I see. God became human, dwelt among them, became like them. Oh, my word. He's going to be the sacrificial lamb? Oh, I remember a few of those old-time guys spoke about that. Oh, it's making sense. Ooh. Leave you with these questions. or thoughts, or whatever, could you please come to grips with this great salvation? And if you say you are saved, if you say you have received the new birth from above, if you say you've been regenerated, converted, whatever term you would like to use, the Bible uses many of them, would you come to grips with it in your own life and say, on the solid rock of Christ I stand, and settle it? Rather than one in, one out, one in, one out, one in, this time I'm in, this week I'm out. Oh, this one offended me, I'm in, I'm out. Just get get your feet on the rock. Say, here I stand. I know I'm going to get pummeled. If you're in the water, you're going to get pummeled. If you're on the rock, you're going to get pummeled. Choose a pummeling. But if you're on the rock with other people standing on the rock, then you can link arms. And then you can be more firm and you can stand. Have you ever tried to link hands in the waves? I've tried. I was a lifesaver. It's really hard. but On the ground, it's a lot easier, even if the water's hitting you. So please come to grips with this great salvation. Next. Would you live with a prophetic expectation that God has promised that there is a day coming when he will make all things right? And live with that and say, because of that, I can endure now. Because Jesus... Oh, God has shown Himself to be faithful over thousands of years. He, we can extrapolate and say, "No, He will be faithful to the very end." But it means, as I had a, this conversation with a good friend this week, is that every moment of how we can we train ourselves to be aware of God's presence with us, even in the fire. What what that song? He's with us in the fire. He carries our healing in His hands. He's with us. We should live with this prophetic expectation, a hope that there's a day coming. Thirdly, please don't be shocked when trials and opposition come your way. I would, I would go as far as to say, as many have said, if you, are, if you are not experiencing any trials or tribulation, then maybe something's wrong, not something right. Because if you truly step onto the rock that is Christ and make a stand, then all hell breaks loose. Could you embrace the trials and the tribulation? Embrace them. Learn. Grow. Let the junk rise up. Let it be scooped off. Work with a friend. Work with another person. Let's do this together. Speak the truth in love. You know, I... Three minutes. When we were in England last two weeks ago, the, the the seven guys went apart with Matt Larson from Anthem and he asked us this question. It started off. He said, If the devil were gonna take you out, where is your weak point? What is the sin that would so would get you? It's kind of like what? I don't want to share with you what my sin is. One by one. We, began, we what began to speak. I haven't been in a place like that before. People got down and dirty honest. Said, this is where, this is what I struggle with. And it's all around the same three things, isn't it? Money, sex, power. And we vowed. What, wouldn't, what, what, happened, what was said in that room would stay in that room. And we prayed for one another. But you know now when I want to pray for Keith who's in England, I pray very differently because I've been in that room. When I pray for Rob in Dubai, I pray very different because I've been in that room. And I'm hoping when they pray for me, they pray different because we're in the room together. We've, there's a commitment to the refining to let the gunk come up so that God could wipe it away. Fortunately, there was nothing shared that at that point would disqualify anybody from being in leadership, which was uh, we were very grateful for. But we shouldn't be shocked when the people we most respect in the faith are also struggling. Because we're just human, learning from Jesus. Fourthly, first one, come to grips with this great salvation. Secondly, Live with a prophetic expectation that a day is coming when everything will be made right. Thirdly, don't be shocked by trial and opposition. Embrace, learn, and grow. Fourthly, don't grow tired in doing good, because on that day you will receive, Galatians 6, 9 says to us. Let's not be tired in doing good. And I think sometimes when we're in in community and we see different people struggling, and then this one leaves, and then this one joins, it feels like, Oh, that's not what I signed up for I'll just take a back seat as well no 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 you signed up to follow Jesus within community so we still throw our weight in we say no we're going to keep on doing good to one another to our broken world to whoever we see our neighbor our enemy we're going to continue to do good and then fifthly Just finally, begin a journey of practicing the presence of God. That was Brother Lawrence's great book, Practicing the Presence of God. Being aware of Jesus by His Spirit in every moment of every day, and you will fail miserably, but you keep saying, Jesus, I want to know you right now. I need you right now. I need you in this decision-making, whether it's about business or raising my child or how to spend my money, I need your presence. Being aware, being aware. And again, like running a marathon, if you start out the first day, you might get 100 yards. But if you keep sticking at it within a year, you might be at half marathon. If you keep sticking at it, victory will come your way. Practice the presence of God, becoming aware. And the best way that I know that we can do that is if you at least start your day with a few minutes of solitude and silence and say Jesus here I am love me here I am know me here I am I want to be aware of your presence with me oh I'm not uh, focus back focus back focus back I wrote down on a card is it in here I might be there I have these little cards okay one of those are you awake to me it's for myself am I awake to the presence of God with me right now and then the next one says who's in charge Every single moment, the self wants to say, I'm in charge. No, no, no. no, God, Jesus is in charge. It's that wrestle, but I'm aware of God's presence with me. It's a wrestle. It's hard. It's hard work. I'm, I'm, I'm just a beginner. On the state of the marathon, I've taken two steps. But if we could do that. As we enter Holy Week starting next Sunday, so next Sunday we won't be doing Peter. We're going to look at Palm Sunday and we're going to. It's actually all about this great gospel about the king of the universe that rides into town on a donkey. Hold on. And what happens? We're going to celebrate that. We're going to think about that. We're going to memor- you know, go through stuff. We're going to send out some worksheet stuff just to help us through each day so that we become aware. Historically, I did not like celebrating all the Christian holidays. I come out of a a a Roman Catholic background. I went to Mass six times a week. I went to Catholic school my whole life. So when I got became a Christian and there were no holidays, I was so thrilled. I was thrilled beyond measure that I found this freedom. But as now, nearly 40 years later, I've begun to realize that some of these days and these moments are really important because they link us to history and they link us to the church around the world. And those are brothers and sisters, and they do things a little different, some, you know? But we link together. So when we celebrate that week together, we are joining with Christians throughout the world that are doing the same thing. We're making our presence known on the earth, and we're linking back thousands of years. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm learning to re-engage. And it's funny how you start re-engaging, all the stuff that I knew starts bubbling, you know, to the surface again. It's like... I suppose I could go into a Mass and I'd be able to recite it just as it was if nothing had happened, because it's all there somewhere. Can we take a few moments? Just would you be silent? Would you close your eyes? And would you maybe just simply pray, Jesus, would you know me, know my heart? Jesus, would you be with me? Jesus, would you love me? If necessary, Jesus, would you save me today? take a moment just if you find your mind wandering just come back and say no Abba I belong to you and then we'll finish off Jesus, as we come to your table, the Lord's Supper, the table of the Lord, right now we are grateful for that that you gave us. You, didn't, you actually didn't write anything. You gave us a meal as a remembrance of your, your work. He you said, whenever you do this, whenever you break the bread and drink from the cup, do this in remembrance of me, of your death and sacrifice on the cross and then your resurrection. It reminds us of a past action. But you also said it will speak about a future when everything will be made right. And it reminds us in the very now present that you are with us by your Spirit. You tell us in the Gospel of John that you are leaving, but you are going to send one just like yourself to be with us, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Peter talks about the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is with us. And as we come to this table, Holy Spirit, remind us of the presence of Jesus with us. As we partake of the bread and of the cup, remind us of the love that Jesus had for humanity and that he sacrificed his life in perfect love and perfect submission to the Father so that we could be healed. Be with us, we pray, as we do this. Once you come, take some bread, take a, a cup, go back to your place, take a moment again just to ponder and then we'll eat together. Is that right?